Welcome to the Global Connection, a Tel Aviv University podcast. Journey with us as we discover how TAU's academic community and friends are engaging with and helping to shape this ever-changing world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Global Connection. I'm your host today, Orit Cody, and I'm a member of the Lowy International School. Today, I'm excited to have Dr. Sagi Jaffe Dax joining me. Sagi works here at Tel Aviv University, and he is a faculty member in the School of Psychological Sciences. He's also a researcher with the Segal School of Neuroscience and the head of the Cognitive Development Lab. Sagi's work focuses on developmental cognitive neuroscience. Did I say that right? Yeah, <laughs> and he also happens to be the new head of international MSc program in neuroscience. Welcome, Sagi. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Um, so we're here today to chat a little bit about the world of neuroscience, and specifically what neuroscience tells us about how the brain develops at an early age. So I'd like to begin by you just explaining to us, um, in layman's terms, what is what is the field of neuroscience about? Well, I can. The field of neuroscience is pretty um, broad. I mean, people study various... Uh, usually people think of um, various models of neuroscience. Um, so people's work usually focus on, focus on single models mm -hmm. or a few models. Um, it, it can be an, an animal model or um, a, a, compu a computational model. Um, and stuff like that. Um, the idea is to try and understand what the brain does and how it operates and how it achieves the goals of us as, uh, as humans. Um, specifically in developmental cognitive neuroscience, um, what the field used to be is to use kids and babies as, again, models for uh, understanding cognition where the goal was to understand adult cognition. Mm -hmm. um, I have a slightly different view of that um, field. I think that um, kids are people mm -hmm. uh, as they are, and not future people or mm -hmm. people to be. So they're not models of cognition, but they're actually the, the subject itself. This actually sounds extremely fascinating, and I we will get to that in um, the later part of our discussion. It's funny when I was when I was reading a little bit about the history of neuroscience, I actually realized that um, it, interest and, and and research in the connection between the mind and the body started in ancient Egyptian times and Greek times. They were very interested out of centuries ago into understanding the mind so we're not we're not the first ones in the 20th 21st oh, we're century. definitely not the first one yeah. no it gained a lot of interest in the in the recent in re, the few um, in the last few decades because we have new tools um, yeah that um, allow us to better image whatever goes uh, goes in the brain uh, whatever happens in the brain um, but yeah, the idea of asking what the brain does and what does it mean to think and what does it mean to be human is not new. Yeah. 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 Um, and even though we started so many years ago, we probably have so many more years too right. <laughs> ahead of us. Right. <laughs> so, so how did you personally become interested in neuroscience in the field? Um, I don't know. <laughs> just came to be. Um, I started to study, when I, when I first got to academia, when I first started in academia, I started to, stu to, started, um, to study cognition mm -hmm. um, or cognitive sciences. 
And from there, I guess the, the methods and the, um, let's say, methodology of studying the brain itself seems, seemed appealing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my PhD work was done with uh, adults, uh, adults with dyslexia and adults with autism and neurotypical adults, obviously. Um, I really like the idea that I can tell something about the brain that is not apparent straight away on just by looking at behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, we can with the, with these new tools, with these new exciting tools, flashy te- and flashy technologies, we can look deeper and try and understand whatever's going going in the underlying basis of of this of behavior. So, so let's delve into that a little bit more. What are the key things that you're, you're looking for from a neuroscience perspective in childhood development, early childhood? So I'm trying to understand what, what happens to the brain when we grow from uh, babies to, to, being children, to, become, to becoming children and, and, and eventually adults. What changes? Obviously, we, we, we're, we, we operate on a different um, scales and different goals. Uh, if you think of uh, babies and children, they're amazing learners, right? But they're very poor behaviors, let's say. Um, they, their ability to perform in the outside world is very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, the ability to express themselves. But on the other hand, they learn really, really quickly. And they learn, I mean, they don't not, not only learn language, which is the first thing that comes to mind. They learn to walk, they learn to run, they learn to swim, they learn to, they learn to ride bicycles. And I mean, all these things are, would have been really difficult for adults to, to learn if they had to do it from, from, from scratch. Yes. Um, so somehow it seems like the brain is doing something totally different when we're babies and kids. Right compared to when we were adults and, and and I'm intrigued to see what is it what is it what is different in the in the brain and 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 taking that and um, taking into consideration environmental or genetic factors um, or cultural factors is that something that you also look into in terms of you know how a, a child would develop here in Israel versus somewhere in China or India so interesting yeah um, and I'm trying to to examine these um, these cultural factors as let's say tools or um, prisms into cognitions. For example, we have a joint uh, research with a collaborator in the US mm-hmm. where we look at the the precursors of reading in pre-reading ages. So with two year olds and three year olds, they were exposed to text to a certain extent. I mean, kids are getting uh, somewhat uh, exposure to text when they walk around the street, when their parents read um, read their beta- bedtime story, uh, when they look at the at, um, at at TV, for example, and see the subtitles. They see text, right? Um, and we think that even with that little exposure before they even being started to taught to, to being taught to read um, they already have some um, attentional biases towards certain texts and versus others mm-hmm. familiar text versus unfamiliar text for example and 
something that we can we can easily compare in Israel, which is quite kind of unique um, worldwide, is the direction of text, mm-hmm. right? So we expect kids, even before they're before being taught how to read, they're going to allocate their attention differently to the side to different sides. Absolutely. I myself as as uh, an English speaker here, but living here for twenty years, if a sign is in English versus Hebrew, of course, my eyes will still right. go to the English. They still go to the English. Of course. right. So even if in, if it, so it's in Hebrew, this will be this will hamper your reading speed, right? because you you jump straight ahead to the end of the sentence exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's almost like it, this could be a far stretch, but it's kind of like if I, AI is now the thing we're talking about, kind of like the children are, 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 are sort of like a built-in AI product that are constantly learning, a learning machine in a way. Um, yeah, but it seems like it's a, they have a different goal. So it's not exactly the same machine when we're kids and when we're adults. Mm-hmm. Seems like the, the goal that this machine tries to achieve is different. Yes, yes, yeah. Right? What I is mean, that goal? So, for example, take a, I mean, if we look at the age of between one and two, mm-hmm. right? Kids in that certain uh, age range boost their vocabulary from almost zero to hundreds of words by the age of two. Amazing. It means they devoted a very large, I mean, and adults obviously can't do that. No. So they devoted a very large percentage of the resources, of the cognitive resources, to do that, right? To, to, to gain and to increase their, their vocabulary. Right. It's incredible. And, I mean, adults, I mean, if we think of, of, us, of, of us being a certain machine, our machine doesn't do that anymore when we, when we grow up. Right. Right. So it's almost as if the machine is devoted a different goal. Right. So I think this kind of touches upon what we're talking about now because, um, you know, the Sogol School of uh, Neuroscience is also classified as a multidisciplinary research center. And, you know, TAU in and of itself is very characteristic as being interdisciplinary as well. But specifically when it comes to um, the neuroscience field, how does that, um, that interdisciplinary setup um, m- that make it so unique and how does it support your research? So, I mean, I can speak of Segal. I mean, it's it's a very big school, right? We have, I don't know how many, dozens, maybe even more labs. Um, each lab is devoted to a certain topic or to a certain uh, model of cognition, as I, as I mentioned. Um, so it's very multidisciplinary in that sense. It's also interdisciplinary because we meet, we're, we're, we're all in the same campus, mm-hmm. or at least most of us are in the same campus, so we meet more often than other schools of neuroscience out there in the world where they more, let's say, spread out in different campuses around the city. Right. Um, so just as, a, as a, a prosaic example, we meet at the same cafeteria <laughs> almost every day. Um, we teach the same students. So a student that sits in that sits in my class also is being also taught in in the biology department and in the medicine department and in various and and, and the student meets principal investigators from all around the campus and from all around this from from multiple disciplines That's super valuable very advantageous yep. is there um 
are there similar setups like this in other institutions? Do they that that focus on neuroscience? Do they usually work like that, or? Yeah, so it's usually I think it's more spread out, mm. right? There are other schools of neuroscience in in Israel and in, in around the world, but it's usually more spread out, and it's usually not all of all of us in the same campus, which is kind of unique. Absolutely. So we're going to jump into the, the, the Center for Cognitive Development, which you are the head of. Um, tell me a little bit about that, how it was set up. It's, 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 it's quite recent. Um, yeah. So. yeah, so we started uh, three years ago. Um, we, I mean, it's a center that is devoted to uh, developmental cognitive neuroscience. We have a facility to accommodate uh, kids and babies who come here to participate in experiments. And I was going to ask you, what, what is the typical age range? Any age. Any age. Yeah, we start, I mean, we have experiments that start at one and a half months, wow. and we go all the way up to older kids, you know, students. Um, so, yeah, we, we do every age. Every age. And we have the facility to do that with every age. We, have, um, we can measure behavior uh, using eye tracker, and we have gaze contingent experiments where the babies control the things that they see on the screen. Um, we have we have neuroimaging techniques that is that are that um, is designed and devoted to babies. Um, it's called FNIRS. Um, Do you so, need to have the baby in a certain state of calmness, or it, it, it can work in any situation? Because you know kids so, are unpredictable. Yeah, kids are unpredictable. <laughs> sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh -huh. um, we go along with them if they need another, if they need extra time to 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 rest or to or to eat or mm -hmm. to change. We have a changing table, we have a, a, a nursing station. <laughs> Uh, we have we have everything they need. There's a, a, a little gymboree if the older kids needs need some uh, playtime before we start the experiment. Um, wow. We can accommodate cool. for 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 a lot of things. We have coffee machines for mothers if they need that. Um, so it's it's yeah. almost a kindergarten, but just just a little different. Right <laughs> for a single family each each time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So. Um, what are the what would you say would be some of the interesting most uh, you know um, points of research that stand out to you and and how do they kind of connect to the other 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 research in this field in the wider world? So there's I don't know I can think of many examples but maybe one of them that I recently um, that we recently I just, I just I mean saw the preliminary results a few minutes ago from a pilot study that we ran. Um, the student wanted to ask uh, whether kids can locate sound before they can move their uh, muscles mm -hmm. towards that sound, right? I mean, on one hand, why would they? I mean, if they can't do anything with it, they can't t they can't move their head towards their their, that uh, source of sound. Then maybe they don't they, they don't need that computation to happen. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand something needs to be built gradually towards that stage where they can um, shift their gaze and shift their their, their head towards that um, that source of sound. So it was an open question mm -hmm. until the student came up with the idea of, of how to test it. Mm -hmm. um, so we're looking at, uh, at one-month-old, two-month-old and three-month-old babies and the student basically reads a story to them. Wow. These 
babies at this age, they can't even focus on the screen yet. So there's no point in doing a really controlled experiment on the screen right. as, as most experiments are being done. So the student reads a story to them and, and, and she uses this um, monkey, uh, stuffed monkey, mm -hmm. which makes sounds. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes this, the monkey is on the right side and sometimes it's on the left side. And the monkey makes sounds during the, the, the story. Um, the monkey itself doesn't make the sound. There are speakers behind the student and sometimes the sound comes from the same direction as the monkey, but sometimes it comes from the other direction, right? And we want to see whether the, our, the baby's brain can detect this mismatch between vision, vision and, audit, and audition, right? Between the, the place where they see the monkey and the place where, they, where the sound is coming from. And if the brain manages to detect this mismatch between those two sources, mm -hmm. then it means that it, compu it computed um, the direction of the sound or the direction where the sound came from. Wow, that's fascinating, yeah. really. <laughs> so it was a pretty simple yes. but, but clever design that the student came up with. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and are there any other general trends that you would say are, are, are something to look for in, in the world of neuroscience today? Well, every, every year there's a new technology that, yeah. com that comes up. Um, yeah. There's a, a new Im neuroimaging technology, a new computational model. Um, I, one of the courses that I teach is um, computational models of cognition. Mm -hmm. um, so... I used to I used to have to explain to the students why we need to understand these computational models and what their potential what their potential could be but then 2 years ago all this explanation became unnecessary right people just saw what GP, what ChatGPT Chat can, can do mm -hmm. and all of a sudden no need to explain just teach us how to how these models work we know it's important <laughs> um, so yeah, things change all the time. It's good to 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 be on to sit on our edges and mm. and to and to and to to look for new technologies and new ways of thinking and new models. Absolutely, it's I don't know. It's a fascinating field. I think it, it really is. It really is. So that brings us to the the international uh, MSc program in neuroscience here at TAU. Um, you've recently become the head of it, so uh, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, what makes this program uh, unique? And tell us a little bit about it. Um, so I'm I'm kind of new to the program, so I'm still learning about it. Um, this program is unique because. I think it allows so it allows students to choose from a very large variety of uh, of laboratories and, and research groups. Mm -hmm. um, on one hand, on the other hand, you don't have to uh, commit yourself only to a certain uh, field. You can choose from even even if you chose one laboratory, you can still choose from a very large variety of courses right. uh, or modules that you can take from from uh, all around the campus. Um, and the program is two years, right? Yeah. And totally entirely taught in English. Yeah. With a thesis. Yeah. Option. Yeah. Um, so, w what would you? Wh why would you recommend uh, a student to specialize in, in in neuroscience today? I think it's interesting. I mean, I think it's an interesting field, and it it opens um, avenues to to various directions of of let's say 
professional development. I think anywhere, anywhere in industry and in academia, this uh, breadth of knowledge is appreciated. Yeah. And uh, the ways that you learn how to uh, deal with high dimensional data mm -hmm. and um, non-trivial representation of data and the way that we ask questions is, is kind of unique because you can ask the same questions in the same question in multiple ways and come up with the uh, experimental or research design um, in multiple ways um, so it's a very it's a very wide um, field, yeah. wide field of knowledge. And the fact that it, and skills. it is interdisciplinary, it means that there's a wide range of types of people that can apply with different backgrounds as well, right, right. Which, which I think right. um, adds a lot to, to the output of it and the experience of the cohorts themselves as well. Yeah. Um, okay. So from my understanding, you can apply for the program until uh, through March the 20th through the okay. um, uh, web, international uh, LOE websites. Um, for those listening, what kind of students are you looking for, Segi? We're looking for curious people. Uh, we're looking for um, people who are keen to learn and to examine their knowledge critically and in ways that they haven't thought about before. Um, we're looking for, obviously, we, we need diligent and uh, talented people. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm, when, I'm, w w when, when I meet students, I'm more, in, I'm, I'm more interested to know what interests them and what questions they, they, mm -hmm. they have about the world yeah yeah i think that's a good start and in in describing everything and then it's a good way to end on this note so okay. thank you for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure Sagi. yeah it was a pleasure wish you luck in the new position thank you okay thank you thank you very much